So the Supreme Court has been in the news lately, and it reminded me of an interview that the late Justice Antonin Scalia gave to New York Magazine about 10 years ago. And it got a lot of attention, partly because justices don't give many interviews, and partly because it was really wide-ranging. They covered all kinds of stuff, including his Christian faith. And as the interviewer you know, of this secular magazine was getting ready to move on to a new topic, uh, Scalia kind of blurts out, I even believe in the devil. And the interviewer, a woman named Jennifer Senior, she said, you do? Like, really, people like you exist? I've heard about you. I saw you in the zoo once, but no, you're actually real. Okay, so, so she, he goes, yeah, of course, he's a real person. So she asked, well, have you seen any evidence of him lately? And then Scalia does something that I think, he, he says something I think we can identify with. He said, it's kind of curious because when you look in the New Testament, when you look in the Bible, you see uh, Satan at work. But now you kind of don't. Like in the Gospels, he said, Satan's doing all kinds of stuff. He's influencing people. He's running pigs off cliffs and all that. But you don't see it now. And so you wonder, what, what is he up to? And Scalia thought maybe he'd gotten smarter, like wily or craftier. Because she's like, well, what do you think he's up to now? And, and Scalia says, well, I think he's trying to get people to not believe in him or in God. It's kind of a weird conversation to be playing out in the pages of a secular New York magazine. But it kind of raised some issues that I think we can all identify with. Because we go to the Bible and we see Satan active. And then we look at our world and we go, did something change? Maybe he's, you know, got tired. Well, I mean, maybe he doesn't have as much energy as he used to. Or maybe, maybe he's just as active. It's just that we don't have eyes to see. We don't know what we are seeing. So that sets up the last question of this magazine interview with Scalia. And the interviewer asks him, isn't it terribly frightening to believe in the devil? And he says to him, you look at me as though I'm weird. My God, are you so out of touch with most of America? Most of which believes in the devil? And he continues, <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ believed in the devil. It's in the Gospels. You travel in circles that are so, so removed from mainstream America that you're appalled that anybody would believe in the devil. Most of mankind does believe in the devil for all of history. Many more intelligent people than you or me have believed in the devil. I mean, Scalia gets some things right there. For example, he gets right that Jesus believed the devil was a real person. And he's right that most people throughout history and most people around the world today have believed in, in the devil. But I'm not so much worried about other people in history or around the world. I'm thinking more you and me. Do you believe the devil is real? I mean, you're not smarter or more sophisticated than Jesus, are you? If you do believe he's real, what do you think he's like? How would you describe him? What's he up to in the world? And, and how should you as a Christian respond to what the devil is doing? Well, we're nearing the end of the preaching series to the book of Ephesians. And we're coming to a place in the passage, in the, in the, in the book, where Paul talks about the devil. So maybe we should just start out with who is he? The devil is a spiritual being that was created by God and rebelled against God. And we learn something about him from how the scripture refers to him. So, for example, in the Old Testament, we see this Hebrew word, Satan. 
And you might think it's a name. It's not. It's a title. So what you really see in, in the Hebrew is the Satan. So it's a title, and the title means that he is an adversary. So he is God's adversary. He opposes God, God's people, and God's plans. And then in the New Testament, you see the devil. You see Satan sometimes used in the New Testament as well, but more often you see devil. And it's a Greek word that means slanderer or liar. So that tells you something about the devil too, right? That not only does he oppose, like he's God's adversary, opposing his people, his plan, his purposes, but he's also a liar. He lies to us about who God is. He lies to us about where the good life is found. Now, it's important to keep in mind that the devil is a created being, created by God. Because we have this tendency to either underemphasize or to overemphasize his power. So some of us are prone to minimize, and probably most of us in this room, if I had to guess, we minimize him. We, we, we think it's of a bygone era. We forget about him. And other people, though, can overemphasize and, and, and see the devil behind everything in the world and behind every bush and to the point where they get scared of the devil. The devil is a created being created by God, but he is not God. He's not all-knowing. He can't be present everywhere at the same time. He's not all-powerful. Those are things that only belong to God. Remember Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden, uh, they, they sinned against God. So God had created them to worship and serve him, but they sin against God and go their own way. Well, that same story plays out in the spiritual realm, the spirit realm where God created uh, heavenly beings, spiritual beings, and some of them sinned against God, opposed God. And now what we see is that the devil is kind of the captain of a guard of many demonic angels that have fallen away, have sinned against God, and now oppose him. So the Satan, or the devil, is one of many spiritual beings that we call demons that stand in opposition to God's purposes. Remember the interviewer asked Aaliyah, what's the devil up to? Like, what's he doing today? And, and that's a question that I think deserves a biblical answer. So let's go to Jesus. What's the Satan doing today? Here's what he's doing. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Now, you could do a whole sermon just on that sentence. It's a scary sentence. Satan has desires. The devil has desires, and he's trying to get people to carry out his will. Pick it up. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So what's Satan doing today? Well, he's lying to people. He's lying to people about who God is and what the good life is. And through his lies, he's trying to get people to carry out his will, his desires. First Peter chapter 5. He tells us to be alert, be sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So uh, the devil is, is, is prowling. 
He, he's on the loose. He, he's hiding. He's crouching. He's ready to attack. He's looking for someone to devour. And so Peter says, you need to be alert. You need to be watchful. You need to be careful. You need to be on guard. Otherwise, you might be the one he devours. Earlier in the book of Ephesians that we've been going through, we saw this. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. Now, did you catch that? Whenever you and I sin against God, whenever we choose our way instead of God's way, what we're doing, whether we realize it or not, is we're obeying the devil's plan, the devil's will. He goes on to describe the devil. He's the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the commander of all these dark, demonic, spiritual forces that rebelled against God. He's the spirit at the work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. When we have areas of our life that we refuse to obey God in, but we keep to ourselves because we think our will is better than God's will, what we're doing is, is playing right in to Satan's hands. So here is the devil. He commands this dark spiritual force that's trying to pull us as individuals, as families, as a church, as institutions, governments, whatever he can, away from God. And that takes us to Ephesians chapter six. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We'll come back to look at the devil's schemes in a moment. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers in this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So who's our battle? Who's our real struggle against? It's not against your jerk boss or who you think is trying to ruin your life. Your real struggle is not against that friend who betrayed you. Your real struggle is not against even your health. Your real struggle is not against maybe a political party. Your real struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against those dark spiritual forces that are at work behind all those things things. Notice that the devil had schemes. A scheme is a plan. A scheme is a strategy. That means that the devil has a strategy, he has a plan, he has a scheme about how to attack you. Think if you're a coach, say you're a coach of a football team and you're getting ready to play an opponent, you have a game plan of how you're going to attack that opponent's weaknesses. Maybe you watched film, maybe you sent your coaches ahead to watch the other team play games so that you can come in knowing what their weaknesses are and how you can take advantage of them. But you not only have a, have a plan against the other team, but a good coach will know his own team's weaknesses, where, where the opponent is trying to attack his team. So, do you know where you're weak? Do you know Satan's plan against you? Do you know where it is that you are vulnerable to attack? Because Satan, we're told, has a scheme, has a plan, has a strategy about how to attack you, how to devour you, where you're most susceptible to believing his lies. Do you know where that is? If you were to find out five years from now, you were to find out that you stopped following Jesus, why? Why, why do you think it'd be? Where do you think you got attacked? Where did you get misled from Jesus? Led away from him. I'm not predicting that and I'm sure not hoping that. I'm just asking you if you know where you're vulnerable to Satan's attack. 
Because if you don't know, that's a problem. Because Satan and his dark forces, they know where you're vulnerable. And they're gonna attack you there. Will you be ready? Back in the Civil War, there was this huge battle, a really important battle, Antietam is the name of the battle, and it's in the northern part of Maryland. And it was fought between these two generals. Here is Robert E. Lee, who everyone said was a brilliant strategist. On this side is General George McClellan. He was the general of the Union forces that on his best day was a mediocre general. But at the, at the Battle of Antietam, the mediocre general defeated the brilliant military strategist. How? How did mediocre beat brilliant? Well, before the battle ever began, there were two Union officers out on patrol and they came across on the ground a, a, a piece of paper. They stopped and they picked it up and they realized that they had discovered Lee's battle plans against the Union Army. And so they took him and they gave him to General McClellan. And it turns out that even a mediocre general, if he's got his opponent's battle plans, turns out to be a pretty good general, right? So, so Satan's battle plans have fallen into your hands in the Bible. All you have to do is look there and you'll find how Satan wants to attack us. So let's go there and see what we find. And the first one we see is that Satan's plan is to lie to us. Here's Paul writing in 2 Corinthians. He says, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived, that's the strategy, he's gonna lie, by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. People who are led away from Jesus, it always involves Satan's lies. He lies to us and says, you can't trust God. He lies to us and says that your will is better than God's will. He lies to you and says that the good life is found outside of God's plan. He lies to you and says that if you trust God, you'll regret it. Do you believe Satan's lies? Satan also wants to blind us. The God of this age, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. So what Satan does to people who don't follow Jesus is he blinds their mind so that they don't see Jesus in all his glory. They don't see Jesus in all his beauty and all his power and all his majesty and all his love and all of his grace. They just see him as a regular guy, maybe a good teacher, but they don't see him as Lord and King. And Satan wants to take that same strategy he uses against them and use it against us. Because Satan knows that if we could see Jesus as he really is in all of his beauty, in all of his glory, that we would want to follow him, that we wouldn't hold back anything from him, that every other attraction in this world would fade away compared to Jesus. And Satan steals. That's another strategy he uses. Another part of his scheme is he steals. Here is Jesus explaining one of his parables. Says the farmer sows the word. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. 
so do you see what he's saying is that as soon as the word, which is the Bible, God's word, God's truth, as soon as that gets near us, Satan tries to snatch it and take it away. He tries to prevent us from, from being in the Bible because the Bible is God's power. It's where we get to know God. That Bible fuels our faith. That Bible is so incredibly important to the life of a Christian. So Satan is always trying to distract us, maybe with our phone, and distract us with maybe our email, and distract us maybe with a pillow, and distract us to keep us away from getting up in the morning or before we go to bed at night to read the Bible for ourselves. He, he tries to keep us away from church where we hear the Bible. He tries to keep our kids away from crossing kids where they hear the Bible. He tries to keep you away from a small group where you're gonna hear the Bible. He tells you, oh, you won't like that. Oh, you're busy today. You've got other things going on. Oh, you know, don't think it is a mistake that, that so much now is planned on Sundays. So many things for families are planned on Sundays because I would guess it's part of Satan's strategies to pull people away from their Christian community, to make them more vulnerable so that he can devour them like a roaring lion. The good news, the good news though, is that Jesus has come to defeat Satan. That, 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 that maybe our enemy is great, but our savior is greater. First John three, the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. See, one of the things, one of the ways you can say, uh, uh, why did Jesus come? One of the ways you can frame that is to say, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. But what you can also say is that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, that Jesus came to defeat Satan so that his power, his grip on us, well, it would be taken away. And he defeated Satan on the cross Colossians 2, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. When Jesus died on the cross and when he was raised from the dead, that's when he defeated Satan. But maybe you're thinking, well, if Satan was defeated 2,000 years ago when Jesus died and resurrected, then how can he be a roaring lion on the prowl looking for someone to devour? And in order to understand that, you've got to understand the difference between D-Day and V-E Day. D-Day, June 6, 1944, the Allied troops stormed the beaches of Normandy. V-E Day, that's victory in Europe, May of 1945, almost a year after D-Day, the battles finally won. On D-Day, once they had successfully taken part of those beaches, everybody knew Everybody knew the war was essentially over. The Allies were gonna win, even Hitler and his people knew that. But they didn't actually win. They didn't actually control all of Europe until VE Day, victory in Europe. Do you see that in between D-Day and VE Day, a great battle was raging. In between D-Day and VE Day, there were many soldiers killed. In between D-Day and VE Day, they had to put on their armor. They had to fight that battle against the Nazis. Well, in a similar way, we live between 
D-Day and VE Day. We live between D-Day, which is the day Jesus was crucified, died on the cross for our sins, defeated the works of devil, and was raised from the dead, and Victory Day, when Christ's kingdom will fully come in the book of Revelation. The story here on earth ends as his kingdom comes down to be established here. We live in between those two days, between the cross and the crown, between the cross and the kingdom. And in between those days, a battle rages. In between those days are very, very dangerous. But we live there. Jesus has won the battle, but his kingdom is not fully established here. How do we live in those in-between days? Well, that's what Paul's telling us. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. See, Paul has told us to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Not be strong in your own wisdom. Not be strong in your own determination. Not be strong in your own will, but to be strong in the Lord. And the way you're strong in the Lord is to put on the armor of God. Paul wrote this in prison. He was right next to Roman soldiers. And you can imagine as he looked at them and the armor that they were decked out in from head to toe, he said that God has given us a spiritual armor that is far better than the Roman armor. God has given us a belt of truth and a breastplate of righteousness and a shield of faith and sandals of the gospel of peace and a helmet of salvation. And whenever we go out into battle which is every moment of every day of our life. We need to put on that armor. We need to put on God's armor to fight these battles in God's power. But you know, I, I'm not going to necessarily remember all that. I mean, the, is it truth? Is it righteousness? Is it faith? I'm not going to remember all those things. I, I, I get it, especially in the middle of a battle, especially when Satan's fiery darts are coming at you. You're not going to remember all those things. So let's make it even simpler. And Paul writes in Romans 13, he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when you put on Jesus, you put on the armor of God. When you put on Jesus, you put on the belt of truth because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. When you put on Jesus, you put on the breastplate of righteousness because Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is our faith. Jesus is our peace. So to put on Jesus is to put on the full armor of God. When you can't remember the armor, you can remember Jesus. Now, how do I put on Jesus? I put on Jesus by bringing every part of my life into alignment with his will. I put on Jesus every time I say, Jesus, thy will be done, not mine. I put on Jesus every time I confess my sin and ask him to fill me with his spirit that I might live a life in obedience to him. I put on Jesus when I think of every part of my life, every part of my body, my eyes, my hands, my feet, where I go, what I see, what I do, and bring it under the lordship of Jesus. When I think of my calendar and my checkbook and my relationships and my internet usage and my conflict, all of it, all of life, I bring it under Jesus. 
You and I don't need to go around trying to cast demons out of ourselves or other people. What we need to go around doing is following Jesus, obeying Jesus, submitting to Jesus, surrendering to Jesus, because that's the way we put him on. In the Old Testament, there's a story about a prophet named Elisha who was being hunted down by a foreign king. This foreign king needed to capture Elisha in order to uh, uh, kind of conquer Israel. And, and so Elisha and his servant, kind of his top lieutenant, were, were, were uh, uh, hiding out. And all of a sudden, the servant goes out one morning and he sees the king's forces that have come arrayed against him. That's where we pick up the story. When the servant of the man of God, Elisha's the man of God, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. So he gets up and he goes out and he looks and he sees this great army. And it might be like you, when you get up this morning, maybe you felt like all the circumstances of the world were against you. Maybe you got up and you felt like your job or your future or your, your health or, or, or uh, things were against you in this life. And then you came to church and you found out that not only is it, uh, it, it, are things in this world against you, but so are dark spiritual forces against you. And maybe you feel like the servant of Elisha who says, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? Maybe you feel overwhelmed. Maybe you feel intimidated by all the things that are against us. Story goes on. Elisha says to him, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And maybe you're hearing this morning that, that, that this is kind of church talk. It's what church people say. It's what church people say to try to make you feel better, but they can't see everything you've got to face in your life. I mean, this servant heard Elisha said this and probably laughed under his breath. What's the old crazy man thinking about? Because I can see all these armies of the king coming after you and me. What are we gonna do now? And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Elisha prayed and said, God, open his eyes so that he wouldn't just see the circumstances and he wouldn't just see the king's men and he wouldn't just see the dark spiritual forces that are arrayed against him, but open, open his eyes, Lord, that he might see the full power of God, the full love of God, all the armies of God, all the armies of the living, true God who stand here today, who are for us because greater is he in me than the one who is in the world. World. Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven on earth and he comes to do battle for you. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. John says about Jesus, he says, oh, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you, that's Jesus, is greater than the one who is in the world, that's Satan. Take courage today. Take courage that you are in Jesus. Bring your life under him. Put on Jesus so that you will be able to stand the attack of the enemy. Let's pray. Father, I pray that each of us would have our eyes open so that we could see your power and your love and your mercy and your goodness that surrounds us.
For it feels, Lord, like we are surrounded by all the things of this world. It feels like we're surrounded by a dark spiritual enemy, but really we are surrounded by you. Really we are surrounded by your love. Really we are surrounded by your goodness. Help us to see. Give us eyes to see. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.